Hello and welcome to Bite Sized History, the show where I try to make history fun, fast, and interesting. I'm Nick, your host. Today, we're going to be talking about the Roman Legion. This was the main field unit. Uh, essentially, it, each legion was its own little field army. And this was the force that expanded the power of Rome from the early days of the Republic in the Italian peninsula to the far corners of the known world. Legions fought uh, everywhere in places like Gaul, Germany, uh, the Balkans, places that are now known as Spain. They fought in North Africa and the Middle East. We're going to talk a little bit about their structure and how they fought. So let's get started. Way back in the early days of the Roman Republic, when Rome was just emerging as a regional power in central Italy, the earliest uh, fighting kind of strategy that they used for their legions was adopted from the Greek phalanx. Now, what the Greeks had done is their armies fought in these infantry units called phalanxes. It was a tightly packed formation of men equipped with long spears and circular uh, metal shields. And the idea was to present an impenetrable thicket of pikes to the enemy and you would advance and then clash with enemy infantry. And at that point, it was a match of stamina and attrition. You would hold your ground uh, as long as you could, uh, you know, elbow to elbow with your fellow infantrymen until one side broke. Now, in ancient warfare, it was interesting, the majority of kills and any combat engagement were not from the fighting itself. They were from when one side would break and start to flee the battlefield and they were cut down as they were running away, uh, especially by pursuing cavalry. Over time, the leaders of the Roman Republic found that uh, for one reason or another, the phalanx wasn't working for them as well as they hoped it. So they created this new tactical system that was based on having a legion, but with smaller semi-independent infantry units within the legion, kind of like the equivalent of a modern infantry battalion within an infantry division. These subunits had their own commanders and they were called maniples from the Latin root word for hand. Uh, we can see this in the modern English word manipulate or in the related Latin languages, Spanish and French. In Spanish, the word for hand is mano and in French it's main. In any case, each maniple had 120 men in 12 files and 10 ranks. Okay, so you often you often hear this word rank and file. Well, what does that mean? Your files were basically your columns. Uh, this was where one man was behind uh, the man in front of him. So like it was like a, a single file, one person behind the other. So you would have 12 of these in a uh, in a maniple and 10 ranks, ranks were your horizontal lines of men where you would line up uh, elbow to elbow with uh, somebody on your left and somebody on your right. So the maniples would draw up for battle in three lines uh, and each line was made up of 10 maniples and the whole thing was kind of arranged in a checkerboard pattern. And what this did was presented uh, something called defense in depth. So because you had this, even if the enemy was able to break through, they wouldn't be able to punch entirely through your line uh, because you had it deployed in several lines in this checkerboard formation. 
Separating each maniple was roughly the equivalent of 60 feet or 18 meters. Uh, the elements of the first line, um, the way they were trained was that they could either fall back to the second line or the second line could rush forward to reinforce the first line. And this gave you a lot of tactical flexibility to shift men around depending on where you were winning and where you were losing. There was often a third line as well that was made up of light infantry. Uh, these were guys that were physically smaller, but they also were not as heavily armed. Or you would have a third line mixed in with reserves. And these were typically like older, older men. Um, one, because they didn't have maybe the necessary stamina to fight in the first line, but also because they were more experienced and they, they had uh, maybe higher morale, being in the third line, they could uh, maybe prevent some of the guys in front of them from running away. There were two main infantry weapons that were used by the legions. One of them was the pilum, and this was a spear. Uh, a lot of scholars have called it a javelin because you could you could you could punch forward with it, like you could pierce with it, but you, but you could also throw it. And it was two meters or six feet long. And the gladius, uh, gladius, of course, is where you get the Latin word gladiator. Is somebody fighting with this sword? Basically, it was a short sword used for cut uh, and thrust. And it was about half a meter, uh, 20 inches long. The idea was you would deflect the enemy's blows uh, with your shield and then uh, pierce. The mentality, the kind of fighting style, the strategy at the time was that Roman legion commanders believed that a killing blow was really a pierce and not a slash. Uh, and you often see this when they came up against people like the Gauls and the Celts in modern-day France, who used longer swords, uh, and they were often um, their approach to fighting was often heavy slashes and chops. The Roman legions did not fight that way. Interestingly enough, uh, the culture of the Celts and the Gauls was very much about individual glory, whereas the Romans was about being part of a unit. And we see this time and time again. They were able to beat the Celts because the Celts would surge forward, do man-to-man -man fighting with chopping and slashing, and exhaust themselves. Whereas the Romans had several lines, and they would uh, always be refreshing the stamina of the men in front, because when you were tired, you, it was, you would almost like tap the guy behind you, and you would fall back, and he would take your place. So you see, the Celtic fighting line was really strong at first, but they just didn't have staying power. Um, you know, like you couldn't maintain that level of energy, whereas the Romans could. They could fight all day because they had this cycling system uh, with their infantrymen. The three lines of this maniple were typically uh, 75 meters or 250 feet apart. And they were often organized into things called cohorts. And we'll see this later. And like as the armies of the Roman Republic um, transitioned, evolved into the armies of the Roman Empire, the combat units actually get bigger and bigger. Um, like by the time of uh, Julius Caesar, a legion was composed of 10 cohorts and there were four cohorts in the first line and three in the second and third lines. Most of this was heavy infantry, but it was supplemented with cavalry and light infantry. Um, so kind of what's the difference? Uh, cavalry originally was the noble class of Rome. Uh, and you had to like provide your own horses and stuff like that. And as time went on, they also became more heavily armed and armored, uh, moving from 
light armor and exposed legs and swords to heavier armor and even some armor for their horses and lances and stuff like that. Eventually, the cohort was increased to a field strength of uh, maybe five, six hundred men. Again, most of this was heavy infantry. These are your main legionaries of the line. Uh, legionary, of course, being a soldier fighting in the legion. <laughs> so, um, but it was often supplemented by, like I said, cavalry and light infantry. This light infantry was originally just kind of like extra spearmen for the line. And as time went on, they realized it was very advantageous for them to have specialized light infantry. People like archers, uh, javelin men, uh, slingers, they would move ahead, shielding, screening heavy infantry formations, trying to disrupt enemy formations, protecting flanks like sides, stuff like that. When the Romans ran into enemies that used a lot of cavalry, particularly in Eastern Europe and stuff like that, they started using much more cavalry as well. Originally, the proportion of cavalry in their legions was maybe one-seventh, but by the late empire, it was one-fourth. In addition to this, uh, you see this in the movie Gladiator, um, they had war machines. So by the fourth century, uh, as many as 10 catapults and 60 ballista were assigned to each legion. So we know what a catapult is. It's got this throwing arm with a cup and you throw uh, whatever you have. I mean, rocks, uh, chunks of masonry uh sometimes they would even you know heave uh dead animals stuff like that uh 60 ballista a ballista is basically a giant crossbow and you operate it with a series of cranks so that's kind of the basic uh structure of the roman legion um kind of throughout time uh, like i said the size got got bigger and bigger and bigger as time went on um Originally, you know, there were 10 cohorts that made up the heavy infantry part of a legion, uh, but 20 cohorts kind of were lumped together into almost like a, a little independent self-supporting field army. And that's pretty much what these legions were. It was this independent field army. They were called Legio, uh, which is the name for legion, and they were assigned a Roman numeral uh, number. Sometimes they had nicknames, uh, you know, like the Ninth Legion was the Hispania Legion, because I think originally a lot of them came from the uh, Roman province of Hispania, which is now called Spain. I mentioned earlier that the structure of the Roman Legion in the early imperial period had 10 cohorts. Uh, well, it gets a little more complicated than that. So if you imagine that a legion was the equivalent of a modern division and a cohort was a battalion, cohort had 480 legionaries and it was subdivided into smaller units roughly equivalent to modern companies uh, that were called centuries. So there were six centuries to a cohort and each century had 80 legionaries. And within the century, like at the century level, it was commanded by a centurion or, or centurio, who was an officer, and he was appointed by the higher command. Each century also had its signifer, so that was somebody uh, carrying the signum, which was the military banner with their emblem. There was a cornicen, which was a trumpeter, and a tesserarius, and this was a soldier responsible for the guards, uh, almost like a military police. 
Well, if a Centuria was a company, you can go even further down to the basic, basic unit of the Roman legions. Uh, this is at the squad level, which was a Contubernium. Contubernia in plural. This was eight soldiers uh, that were called Militis, and that's where that's the root word of modern words like military. And they shared the same tent. They ate, slept, and fought together. Each squad had to have its own draft animal uh, to carry supplies that they couldn't carry. Uh, informally, it, it, there was even smaller. They were divided into pairs. And uh, this was kind of where one of the legionaries, it was like a buddy system, like you would support your buddy. Uh, and it would be up to you to notify his family when you got home of what had happened to him if he died in battle. New recruits were called Tarones, and they needed about six months to become milites, like like solid trained soldiers. The Contubernium, uh, sometimes they had like their own, you know, minor like officer to speak for them. Um, they would choose out of the eight guys, somebody to kind of talk uh, for them to the higher officers. Most often it was the most experienced guy. So just to recap, you had your legion, which was 10 cohorts, and then within each cohort, you had six centuries, and then within each century, you had uh, uh, 10 squads of eight guys. And that was kind of the, the, the basic, basic structure of the Roman legion, roughly analogous to the modern structure of um, division, battalion, company, and then squad. Right at the top of the legion was an officer called a legate or legatus, and he was the commander of the whole legion, typically a senator, so a Roman noble of high-born rank occupying a position of power in the Roman Senate, uh, appointed by the emperor himself. And because they, they knew the emperor, they had met the emperor, it was a way for them to maintain their political power in Rome while they were away, but it was also a way for the emperor to keep an eye on the legions. Attached to his command staff were five or six military tribunes. And what these were were young Roman nobles who wanted to get military experience, and it was often seen as a pathway to power. And they would serve as secretaries, clerks, and officials in the legion. There was also the prefect of the camp, also known as the Prefectus Castrorum, and he was responsible for supplying the legion, so in charge of uh, goods, supplies, logistics, stuff like that, equivalent to a modern quartermaster. And among the centurions, you would pick the most experienced one and designate him the primus pilus, so the, the prime pilus, uh, the first spear. And he was kind of... Uh, as the most experienced soldier, it was kind of a voice of the soldiers. He would liaise with the, the higher officers, stuff like that, give advice, uh, stuff like that. We've already talked about at the Centuria level, there was the Signifer, the Cornicen, and the Tessararius. But at the cohort level, there was also one Centurion that got the job of Aquilifer from Aquila, the Roman word for eagle. And he would carry the legionary eagle. And officially, he would um, 
take care. He was responsible for the safety of the commander. So he was kind of like a bodyguard as well. And this was an immensely elite position, very, very prestigious. And one of the worst things that could happen to a Roman legion in battle was to lose their eagle, uh, their aquila. Now I'd like to share just a few basic details about the life of a legionary, or in Latin, legionarius, or legionari in plural. These were the face of the Roman Empire, kind of oftentimes the first that foreign populations would see. They helped Romanize the native populations by introducing their laws, their language, their customs, stuff like that. Typically, they were recruited from Roman citizens under the age of 45. And originally, most of them came from Roman Italy, but as the empire expanded and became entrenched in foreign lands, you started to see legionaries from places like Gaul or Hispania or Britannia, stuff like that. When I mentioned 25 years of service, the last five years of your service were typically on lighter duties. Uh, they didn't just do fighting. They also expanded the Roman Empire on an infrastructural level by building bridges and roads and aqueducts. Oftentimes you'll see um, they had these tattoos, the legions tattoos, and it says SPQR. Well, that stood for Senatus Populusque Romanus, which stands for the Senate and People of Rome. And it was the symbol of a legionary. Once you actually got through, let's say you survived after 25 years, you received a parcel of land or its equivalent in money, and you were well respected by all other Romans. Obviously, you were a citizen, stuff like that. So if you could hold on for 25 years, um, one of the great things about the Roman legions of the Roman Empire was that they basically had a pension plan for their veterans, like you would get land or money at the end of your service. And that encouraged fresh generations to join. It was seen as something uh, very kind of, it was very well thought of, very well regarded uh, by fellow Romans. Well, that's all I'm going to say about the Roman legions today. I just wanted to give a quick brief outline of the structure, kind of the ranks, the numbers, a little bit about the development and how they fought, and kind of why your average Roman would even want to be a legionary. So I hope it was interesting. This has been Bite Sized History, the show where I try to make history fun, fast, and interesting. I was Nick, your host. Listener mail can be sent to bitesizedhistorypodcast at gmail.com. Once again, thank you so, so much for listening. Goodbye. <laughs>